It is a brand new year, January 11th, 2022. Boy, that's got a ring to it, doesn't it? One eleven twenty-two, And we are back, back from the holidays, back from the new year, back from COVID. It turns out I had a little bout with COVID. Uh, kept me down and out for a few weeks, mostly tired, mostly uh, uh, brain fog. So anybody who's had the COVID brain fog knows what I'm talking about, having conversation with folks and then have to remind myself what they were about. But all in all, I survived, and I'm better for it, and I'm back for the brand new year. We should be back with the Blitz uh, even this week, I think. Uh, and it's time for another q and I've had lots of calls, lots of questions online, not only down here in the studio, but also upstairs in the law firm uh, about appeals again. And, and I think this is probably because so many cases got turned on after the shutdowns, and so many cases got tried. There's been a lot of convictions and, and, and sort of this bottleneck of appellate work. But uh, I'm getting a very common question. I lost my appeal. What next? Now, this is a this is sort of a consolidated version of lots of different questions I had. And as I thought about this on the way in this morning, I thought I would just deal with it this way. Uh, I lost my appeal. Now, what? Uh, the first thing we need to do to answer this question is define the appeal, because uh, people use that term sort of generically. People use that term to include all sorts of things uh, that may or may not actually mean an appeal. For this purpose, let's talk about a direct appeal. This means that you lost in the trial court. You had a trial and you lost, whether it's in municipal court on a speeding ticket or drunk driving or domestic violence, or maybe even a murder case in common police court or something uh, really serious. Uh, it's, it's the same. You lose at the trial court. Now you have a direct appeal. The direct appeal uh, typically goes to the appellate court in the county that the conviction happened. Uh, so here in uh, Franklin County, we have our Franklin County Court of Appeals. And then you can broaden that out. We have something called the 10th District Court of Appeals. Uh, there are other districts. Delaware County uh, has something called the 5th District. And these districts, uh, generally speaking, cover broad swaths of the state. Now, there are a few that don't, and Franklin County is one. It only has, the 10th District only has Franklin County, probably because of volume. Uh, the 5th District sits up in Canton, uh, but it also covers uh, places like Delaware County. So uh, you go to the appellate court in the county where the conviction occurred, and you file a notice of appeal at the trial court level, and that gets transferred up to the appellate court level. Then the next thing you do is you ask for a transcript and transmittal of the record. This is fancy talk for saying trial court, we want you to send everything up to the Court of Appeals, all the documents that were filed, all the papers that uh, are relevant, the transcript that is the thing that the court reporter was creating when uh, he or she was typing it up in the front of the room during your trial. We want all that sent up to the Court of Appeals because now we're going to challenge what happened. Uh, and then you get somebody uh, like the capable lawyers at Yavich and Palmer to uh, perfect your appeal. We we read all the documents, we review the transcript, and we write up an argument about why something went wrong or multiple things went wrong. And you know, if we're successful, the case gets sent back down to the trial court, and they say, "Hey, fix this, do it again, uh, but follow these rules." Or in very rare cases, you get to walk away as a free uh, citizen because they really, really, really screwed up. Uh, but generally, you get a new trial. Now, the question I've been getting, and back to it here, is what happens if I lost? What happens if the appellate court, say the 10th district or the 5th district, said, yeah, sorry, lawyers, maybe you didn't, maybe you should have used Yavich and Palmer because uh, we don't agree. Uh, we don't think that there was a mistake. Or all too often we point out mistakes that occurred at the trial court level, and the court of appeals says, yeah, you're right. This technically, there was a mistake. They didn't do it right. The judge screwed up. 
judge shouldn't have let that witness testify to this or that. Or maybe the judge should have let that witness testify to this or that. Or maybe there was a bit of evidence that uh, the judge let in and shouldn't have, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what, guys? It's just it, it wasn't that big a deal. Uh, we don't think it changed anything. We don't think it was that important. So we're not going to reverse it. What they're really saying is on minor errors, on minor legal mistakes, they might find that it was a mistake, but say, you know what? It was harmless. Didn't make any didn't make any difference in the outcome. So when we raise issues in the Court of Appeals, we want to make sure that we make a strong argument that not only was there a mistake, it was a really big mistake, that that it really changed the outcome. And one of the most common arguments I make is that uh, you get like a like a an acquaintance. Uh, rape case where it's a he said, she said, where there is no physical evidence, where there is no eyewitness, where uh, the only thing that turns the case is the credibility of the person making the accusation and maybe the defendant, uh, if that individual testified, there, then any evidence that tended to tip the scales one way or another would be uh, far more significant than it would be if there was like uh, a, a ton of physical evidence like DNA, fingerprints, eyewitnesses, uh, etc. So, uh, the the prejudicial impact or how much a, a mistake impacts the outcome of a trial is really on a sliding scale. You could have a case where the same mistake does nothing to impact the outcome of the trial, and then you get a case like uh, the one I just described where it could do everything to impact the outcome of the trial. But at any rate, say in our scenario, the Court of Appeals said, sorry, Charlie, you lose. We don't agree. Uh, we uphold the conviction and back to the question, I just lost my appeal, now what? Well, the next logical step in Ohio is you ask the Ohio Supreme Court to step in and uh, look at the case. Now, what do I mean by step in and look at the case? Those aren't fancy legal words, uh, but I'll put it in fancy legal words. What I mean is you file something called a memorandum in support of jurisdiction in the Ohio Supreme Court. What, pray tell, is a memorandum in support of jurisdiction in the Ohio Supreme Court. Let's break it down. We'll make it simple. What it is, is it's a brief summary of why this particular case, the appeal I'm working on, is a big deal, is significant, uh, either involves a significant constitutional issue or uh, has broad general public interest. Now, uh, here, here's why that is. When, when you get to the highest court in a state or even the land, if you go all the, go up to the, if you go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, they don't want to handle uh, issues that only impact one case. They don't have time for that. They can't look at every case. If they did that, they would be bogged down forever. They can never get anything done. So when we raise issues on direct appeal, we want to make sure we frame them in such a way that if we lost – uh, it has some interest in the Ohio Supreme Court. They want to look at big picture issues. They don't care about one little tiny bit of evidence, uh, a mistake of law that occurred uh, when the law is well settled. They want to look at things like uh, uh, legal issues that maybe aren't so well settled, or maybe there's a bigger picture constitutional problem with what happened, that if it's left to stand, maybe there's a conflict or other courts of appeals uh, throughout the state are handling it differently. Those are issues that uh, we raise in a memorandum in support of jurisdiction. So to, to put that simply, we're asking the Ohio Supreme Court to exercise a little bit of good decision-making, discretion, and say, we're going to agree to look at this case and give you a decision on the outcome. And that, so the first step is you file your memorandum in support of jurisdiction. You briefly outline the issues, and then you spend most of your time, most of the page limit, which I believe is 15 pages, uh, explaining why this is important. 
Now, let's say that they say, no, it's not important. We're going to decline to review it. And, and frankly, that is most of the cases. Um, again, if all the cases went up to the uh, highest court in the land, uh, there were n- nothing would ever get done. But uh, so generally speaking, I always tell folks, by the time you get past direct appeal, um, if you just look at it statistically, the, the chances get sort of thin. Now, my, my quick response to that usually is, uh, you know, when people ask, what are my odds of success? And I say, well, maybe 100%. We just don't know. Now, that's a bit of a whitewashing of the issue because often I can tell if there is a big picture issue or not. But uh, you get the point. It's like you look at the statistics. If everybody files a memorandum in support of jurisdiction and they can't take all the cases, well, then statistically, most of them are getting rejected. So we, we want to look for issues that we think might have some, some bigger impact. Uh, so if the highest Supreme Court, back to it here, uh, says, no, we're going to decline, we're not going to review it, well, you've got a couple options from there. Um, you can do, you can go directly uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court and file a petition for certiorari. That's their fancy words for saying, please uh, review my case petition. Um, and it's the same, it, really very similar. You explain to the U.S. Supreme Court why this is a big federal problem, why there's a constitutional issue, why this has broad uh, impact beyond the, the facts of the individual case. So you might have a, a gun case, you might have a, uh, a, a right of confrontation case. Those were big a few years ago. Um, uh, you might have a COVID relief type case, an issue where uh, the government's overstepped its bounds. Uh, we all know what's going on in the Supreme Court now. So you ask the U.S. Supreme Court to review it, and let's say uh, they say no also. You could be dead in the water, or uh, if you're when you file a petition for certiorari in the U.S. Supreme Court, it delays another remedy, which is uh, habeas corpus, have the body, go to the federal district court, and uh, and raise your issues there in habeas corpus. I'm going to stop on that analysis because that's a whole. You know, I could spend hours on habeas, but uh, let's go. Let's back up in the time space continuum and say the Ohio Supreme Court said, you know what? Yeah, we're going to look at this case. This is a big one. We we are going to we're going to check it out. And uh, then you have to file something called a merit brief. Again, fancy talk for saying, uh, all right, we, we Ohio Supreme Court. You have agreed with me that this is a an issue that needs a, a good look out of this court. Now I'm really going to dig into the details of it. I'm going to dissect it. I'm going to do all the legal research. I'm going to look at all the case law in, in Ohio and maybe even uh, beyond Ohio. And I'm going to I'm going to write out an argument that makes sense and why you should rule my way. The other side does the same. We go in front of the Ohio Supreme Court with all the fancy trimmings and velvet curtains and uh, you know the big sort of dark building or, or dark room where you argue. Uh, in the bullpen facing the judges elevated in this uh, very uh, pomp and circumstance packed situation. And uh, then they issue a written decision, say that decision goes your way. Well, you go back and maybe you get a new trial, maybe you win. Again, it sort of depends. Um, Sometimes they send issues back for more uh, factual finding uh, and, and you go on your way. Now, if you lose, you go back, not all the way in the time space continuum, you just go back to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. You can go from there directly to the U.S. Supreme Court and file a petition for cert, certiorari, which means it's asking the question, please, U.S. Supreme Court, take a peek at my issue. And then if you lose there, of course, you can then go to habeas again. So I just lost my appeal. What do I do now? Well, you call the wise 
lawyers at Yavich and Palmer, and we can walk you through this. But uh, generally, now you know some of the procedure. Uh, you just lost your appeal, so you go to the Ohio Supreme Court and you ask them for help. Now, one final comment here I should, uh, or maybe a couple more comments. Uh, I, I want to briefly throw out there this thing called post-conviction relief. Sometimes it's mistakes, sometimes errors, sometimes problems occur at trial that aren't in the record. It's not on the transcript. It's not in any papers. If you read everything uh, on file that's a public record, you see nothing about it. I just filed uh, a, a petition for post-conviction relief in such a case. There, you have to go outside the record. You have to get affidavits. You have to find the evidence, and you have to submit it in a petition for post-conviction relief, that runs parallel at the same time, right next to your direct appeal, and you file it back in the trial court. And just so uh, nobody misses it, you have a deadline there, and it's a hard deadline. One year from the date, the record, the transcript is transferred to the court of appeals in your direct appeal. So, all right, you just yeah, you just lost, you filed your notice of appeal, you got your direct appeal, and you asked them to send up the transcript. One year from the date the Court of Appeals gets it, or say 364 days, rather, uh, you've got to file your post-conviction petition in the trial court. So that's a hard deadline. Don't screw it up. Um, and, and from there, you, you run up the same appellate ladder. Uh, this gets complicated, folks. It's not easy. I'm trying to break it down as simply as I can. So what do you do when you lost your appeal? Well, now you know. And then one final, final, final comment. Sometimes people call me, and, and this, is a, uh, this is part of the question or the cluster of questions I got here. Sometimes people call me, and it's been maybe three or four years since their last appeal, and they say, I need to appeal uh, this conviction. I got 50 years, and I should have only gotten 10. How can I, what can I do now? My lawyer was drunk all through the trial, or my lawyer screwed up my appeal, or the Ohio Supreme Court said no, and nobody ever did anything after that. Uh, what do I do? And these are questions that almost are, are too difficult to answer unless I have everything in front of me, unless I have all the documents, all the decisions, and, and literally a calendar. Sometimes I pull it out and I make a timeline uh, and draw graphs of all the appellate stuff that's occurred. Uh, and then I can figure it out. Now, when people ask me this question, I almost have a, a universal response, and that is, I probably can't do much for you. I probably uh, can't get this case fixed or reversed because it's been too long. Now, that said, I'm happy to look at it for you. Now, there's a reason I give that answer. And I give that answer because I, it, it's it, too many lawyers will grab money or take cases and get involved in these kind of situations, uh, and they really can't do anything. They should know it. If they don't know it, they're lying. Uh, or they, or they're just uh, maybe incompetent. But I, I never give people any degree of, uh, of false hope here. When people call and their case is five years old and they still want to perfect some appellate uh, remedies, I always say, "Look, I probably can't help you, but I'm willing to look and I'm willing to di or, uh, parse through it all and read everything and give you an opinion." So I've developed this procedure where uh, I, I collect all the documents, I review them. And I write a letter and I say, look, here's what I see. Here's what I don't see. Here's what I think you can do. And here's what I think you can't do. Um, here's one option and it's a long shot. Or here's, uh, guess what? I found this little nugget, uh, this little needle in a haystack where you still have uh, some hope here. But uh, it, again, it, it, we're in the margins at that point. It's very difficult to do anything. The law hates anything other than finality. What I mean by that is the law likes to have everything done. The system likes to have your case done and over with, even if it's not over for you and you're doing 50 years on a wrongful conviction or life on a wrongful conviction. Uh, the law doesn't care. They just like it over with. Otherwise, again, things just sort of churn and burn uh, forever. 
But every now and then, I find something that can be done. So if you want that kind of review, if you want that kind of help, look us up, ohiolegaldefense.com. Uh, I even got some good content on the webpage talking about uh, this stuff. But I often give uh, an appellate opinion or sort of a, an overview assessment of cases. I usually charge a flat rate for that. And it's not exorbitant, but it's enough to cover my time. And then uh, if if it looks like there's something that we can do after that, at, 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 we can talk about what that cost. And then, you know, on the other side of it, it at least you'll know. I, I try to give people very honest opinions and assessments on what their options are. I hate delivering bad news, but I think uh, the only thing worse than delivering bad news is not delivering news when it's bad just because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or or you don't want to deflate them. Uh, you're doing nobody any favors that way. Um, you got to tell people the truth in this business. Uh, so if you want some help, look us up, OhioLegalDefense.com. That's Yavich Palmer. Give us a call, 614-224-6142. Now, this is the uh, the Lawyer Talk Q&A series. I'm talking fast. I'm getting it done fast. And there's a reason, because on these Q&As, I'm trying to answer questions that come in in bite-sized little nuggets and chunks. Make it so you can understand it. Make it so you can actually consume uh, the material that we're giving you in less than 15, less than 15 20 minutes. I say that as I'm at 17 or 18 minutes. But um, yeah, the idea here is to answer your questions, make it uh, understandable so you don't have to sit through the long form podcast. Uh, and speaking of long form podcast, Norm, uh, Brett, and even Jared is on the mend. Uh, we're going to be back this year for lots and lots and lots more. We're doing, uh, I got some great stuff coming. We, we, we had a lot of good uh, feedback on the Q&A series like this one. Uh, also the legal breakdown series. Um, you know, we did some stuff on the Rittenhouse trial and, and people seem to really, really like that. And I'm going to do more of that as bigger legal issues, uh, emerge in this, uh, crazy environment we're in. Uh, so tune in for more of that. If you want your own podcast, channel511.com, check it out. If you want to submit a question, uh, go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. That's lawyertalkpodcast.com. We've got a little, uh, email interface thing where I don't know how it works, but photo Dan and our uh, tech guys, they, they make that work. Uh, and I get the question and I answer it. And that's what I'm doing right here. So until I get your question, until we do the next show, until I do uh, tune in with the Blitz on Wednesday, this is Lawyer Talk Q&A off the record, but on the air, at least until now.